Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Watch this and see if it helps you. We better stop it right there because I'm about to lose some of y'all already. Y'all in some spirit. I don't know what it is. Uh, see, The Beatles released the song or the single Hey Jude in August of 1968. That also happens to be one of the most important months and important years in the history of mankind. That's because that's where my birthday is. I just thought uh, uh, <laughs> the song. This song was written by Paul McCartney. The reason he wrote the song, at least what he says, is that about that time is when John Lennon and his wife Cynthia were getting a divorce. And they happened to have a son by the name of Julian. And so Paul took it upon himself to go visit the family, to visit this little boy because he knew he was going to be devastated by the divorce. And so on the trip to visit this little boy, he begins to write this song and he titles it, Hey Julian. Well, that doesn't work so well, doesn't rhyme as well. And so he changed the lyrics to Hey Jude, the title to Hey Jude. And it wasn't until about 20 years later, somebody asked him why he wrote the song. And this young son now much older discovers that he was the subject of this song it's this song if you know it and some of you only know one little part of it the na 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 part y'all don't know no other lyrics except hey jude na 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 i know it's a profound song and uh, and, and and this song this song is more than seven minutes long it just keeps going and going and going and going uh, it's the longest single to ever top the british charts it it was just long. It, it spent nine consecutive weeks. It's the, uh, it's the longest run at the top of the American charts for a Beatles single. And it, tied, it was tied for that record uh, for that longest. And until one day, this really head-banging, powerful song came along by this just rocking artist by the name of Debbie Boone. Uh, when she wrote this song called "You Light Up My Life," that was a headbanging song, you know. See, I, you see, y'all don't. Some of y'all don't have even a clue. If it feels so right, you know, y'all, y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. Some of y'all needed to grow up in the '60s and '70s and '80s. Y'all just, y'all just missing it. Um, this song, "Hey Jude," the single, get this now, has sold over eight 
million copies. And when critics begin to talk about what are the most uh, important songs and the best songs in history, this is one of the songs, because it is so profound, the na-na-na-na-na's, I guess, I don't know, uh, is listed as one of the most one of the best songs ever written and so it, it's an important song I guess and Paul still regularly sings it in his concerts in fact I, was, were the Olympics last year they were last year weren't they yeah and they, he actually sang this last year and it was part of the, the the Olympic opening and closing and all that kind of stuff it, it's just an important song whether we even know it or not I talked to one individual I said you ever heard the song Hey Jude and he said no until I played that video clip. And he said, I know that song. It's locked in our subconscious. The na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, hey Jude, is locked for some reason in our conscious subconscious. This Jude is extremely famous. However, there is another Jude that precedes this song, but this Jude hasn't garnered as much attention or airtime. It too is a single. It's a single, self-titled chapter in the Bible. It's, uh, it seems to fall almost unnoticed at times because of where it's placed. It, it falls right in front of a much, uh, much, much more mysterious, much sexier, if you will, uh, much more attention-grabbing book called Revelation. Everybody wants to talk about Revelation. Nobody wants to talk about Jude. And so a lot of times we'll read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and just skip right over Jude and go to Revelation because Revelation is mysterious and we kind of like all, all that end time stuff. But what we fail to realize is that this Jude, this Jude that can be read in less time than it takes to sing the song is important and in this short, concise, poignant book that was written by Jude. He describes himself as Jude, the brother of James. And there's some debate that rages because if he's Jude, the brother of James, then that also makes Jude the brother of Jesus. And so there's debate about that. But, but what I would say to you this morning is that although you may debate whether or not he was the brother of Jesus, what you cannot debate is that the 25 verses that, James, or that, Judas, that Jude gives us it's, it's so important that we go back and reflect on those verses because it's like Jude is living today. It's like Jude is prophesying, although there's controversy in the church and in society of his day, it's like he stepped out and, and set up his residence in 2013, and it's like he's reading our mail. He's dealing with exactly what we deal with. And so I think it's important that we deal with Jude. Here's one. One day there was this man that uh, was going on a business trip. He had all of his luggage together. He makes his way to the airport. He does what you do at an airport. He checks in at the check-in counter. He goes through security. They strip him naked. No, they, that just seems like that now. And, and, uh, and he goes through security, and he makes his way to the gate, and he's got his boarding pass, and they call his number, and he gets on the plane. He walks down the aisle. He takes his aisle seat. He begins to stretch out and settle in. And after the plane is taken off, he's minding his own business, but out of the corner of his eye, he realizes there's a lady sitting next to the window and she breaks out a big, huge, leather-bound book. And, you know, he, he's just in his own mind thinking, that's got to be a Bible. It's one of those family Bibles. Some of y'all aren't even old enough to remember that because we used to have these 
gargantuan family Bibles that you put on a coffee table. We don't even know what a coffee table is anymore, but but we have these family Bibles, and he's convinced it's this big leather-bound book. It's got to be a Bible. And so he he resists as long as he can, and finally he just kind of looks over and he says, Ma'am, I'm sorry, I, I recognize you're reading. I don't want to interrupt you, but I notice you're reading this huge leather-bound book. That's got to be a Bible. And she says, You're absolutely correct. It's a Bible. It's a Bible. And so he says, I, I just thought so. And then she stopped him and she, she said this. She said, but it's probably not your kind of Bible. What? He said, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, actually, it's a satanic Bible. Well, that piques his interest. And so I'm sure he probably screwed it over a little bit. But, uh, but he began to ask her some questions. And in the course of the dialogue, this is what she told him. She said, we Satanists do prayer walks around every church in America. During these prayer walks, we pray against the church and the pastors, and we ask Satan to use four specific attacks and tools against them. And here's what she says. We ask Satan to use deception, distraction, division, and discouragement. See, I'm not going to spend one moment today trying to convince you that we as a the body of Christ are under attack. I'm not even going to try to convince you. You, you should need no convincing. It is abundantly and, and clear, apparently clear that, that, that the battles are raging and that we are under a full-on attack from the enemy and that the enemy is trying to, de- to destroy us using these four things, deception, distraction, divisions, and discouragement. And what I want to do in light of that is I want to run back to Jude and say, Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Got anything to say other than na, 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 na? Surely, Jude, you've got something to say. Because what we realize when we read the book of Jude, 25 verses, is that Jude takes head on those four texts and deals with them. I don't normally read this much text, but I'm going to read the entire book of Jude to you in less than seven minutes. Because I think it's important. We're going to focus on three particular verses in the coming days. In the next three weeks, we will streamline that we won't read the whole thing to you again I told some of you on Facebook to read this as your assignment but some of you probably didn't so I'm going to read the entire book to you so that it will make sense and there will be backdrop and you will understand what's going on so stay with me if you will I Jude am a slave to Jesus Christ and brother to James writing to those loved by God the Father called and kept safe by Jesus Christ here it is I like this relax come on bump your neighbor and say relax 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 we're under attack but relax everything's going to be all right. Come on, tell your neighbor, everything is going to be all right. Yeah, even though we're under attack, he just starts the whole thing and says, just relax, take a deep breath. Yeah, we're going to be attacked, but just hang on. Everything's going to be all right. Rest. Everything's coming together. Open your hearts. Love is on the way. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. What has happened is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scripture warned us they would that this would happen. Who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace, this is an important phrase, their design is to replace the sheer grace of our God with sheer license which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only master. 
I'm laying this out as clearly as I can, even though you once knew all this well enough and shouldn't need reminding. Here it is in brief. The master saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Later, he destroyed those who defected. And you know the story of the angels who didn't stick to their post, abandoning it for other darker missions. But they are now chained and jailed in a black hole until the great judgment day. Sodom and Gomorrah, which went to sexual rack and ruin, along with the surrounding cities that acted just like them, are another example. Burning and burning and never burning up. They still serve as they serve still as a stock warning. This is exactly the same program of these latest infiltrators. Dirty sex, rules and rulers thrown out, glory dragged in the mud. The archangel Michael, who went to the mat with the devil as they fought over the body of Moses, wouldn't have dared level him with a blasphemous curse, but said simply, No, you don't. God will take care of you. But these people, this is important too, but these people sneer at anything they can't understand and by doing whatever they feel like doing. Living by animal instinct only, they participate in their own destruction. I'm fed up with them. Anybody ever get fed up? Yeah, fed up. I'm to here. They've gone down Cain's road. They've been sucked into Balaam's error by greed. They've ca they're canceled out in Kor's rebellion. These people are warts on your love feasts as you worship and eat together. They're giving you a black eye, carousing shamelessly, grabbing anything that isn't nailed down. They're puffs of smoke, pushed by gusts of winds, late autumn trees, stripped clean of leaf and fruit, doubly dead, pulled up by the roots, wild ocean waves, leaving nothing on the beach but the foam of their shame, lost stars in their outer space, on their way to the black hole. Enoch, the seventh after Adam, prophesied of them. Look, the master comes with thousands of holy angels to bring judgment against them all, convicting each person of every defiling act of shameless sacrilege, of every dirty word they have spewed out of their, their pious filth. These are the grumpers, the belly acres, grabbing for the biggest piece of the pie, talking big, saying anything they think will get them ahead. But remember, dear friends, that the apostles of our master Jesus Christ told us this would happen. In the last days, y'all say that, in the last days. In the last days, there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. They'll treat them like a joke and make a religion of their own whims and lusts. Wow. These are the ones who split churches thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them, no sign of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, carefully build yourself up in this most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life. Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven, and now to him who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in, this, in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating to our one God, our only Savior through Jesus Christ, our Master, be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time and to the end of all time. Yes. Jude is a bad dude. When you think about the fact that the enemy wants to come against us with deceptions and distractions and division and discouragement, Jude 
was living right now with us. I want to deal with deception this morning because what Jude would tell us is that the enemy is trying to deceive us. It's in Jude verse 3. He says this. He says, Behold, I, or Beloved, I'm going to read it to you out of a different version so you get it. In, in Jude verse 3, he says, Behold, be, Beloved, when I, gave, uh, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the states, saints. J Jude understood that we are under attack. J Jude uses the language of urgency. He says this, earnestly contend. That, that phrase there means to fight with everything within you. It means to contend, to agonize, to defend, to engage in an athletic contest, to be a combatant, to be a warrior, to be a fighter for the faith. Earnestly contend. And yet, what I've recognized now is that we are way too passive in the body of Christ. We are no longer as militant as we should be. Jude is writing to us as if we are warriors. Jude is writing to us as if we are soldiers. And intellectually, we know we are at war. And yet what we do is we continue to live, live our life as if we're on vacation. How many of you so, know that soldiers don't get to go on vacation? How many of you understand that soldiers recognize that at the drop of a hat, the enemy could catch us off guard and come in to destroy us? And Jude says, hey, stay on guard. Stay on point. Don't become passive. Don't become sleepy. Don't become apathetic. Don't become... Uh, See, intellectually, we know we're under attack. But what we do is we make no prep and we make, we, we make no, uh, no attempt to gear up and we, have, we don't allow the fact that we know the enemy's coming against us to have any impact on the way we live. And so we just roll over and go back to sleep. And what Jude is trying to do is shake us awake. Wake up! I'm trying to wake you up this morning. I know you got a good night's rest last night, and you're not sleepy right now, I hope. And I hope you won't be by the end of the service, but that's not my task this morning. Some of us are awake physically and asleep spiritually, and Jude is saying, wake up! You're under attack. The enemy's trying to destroy you. He wants to deceive you. And then what he does is he reveals for us, he, he literally pulls back the curtain for us as to what strategy the enemy would like to use to deceive us. It's one thing for me to tell you that the enemy wants to deceive us. It's another thing that when Jude goes beyond that and he begins to tell you exactly how he wants to deceive us. That, that's probably more beneficial. That It's not enough for me to stand up here and say, hey, the enemy wants to deceive you. Figure it out. No, what Jude does is he goes, hey, the enemy wants to deceive you and here's how. Okay, this is going to get tight this morning. In verse 4, he, he, he shows us and tells us to be on guard. And this is what he says. He says, what has happened is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures warned us this would happen. Who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace the sheer grace of our God with sheer license. Which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only master. And then he goes on, and I read it to you. He says they begin to make a, a religion out of their whims and their lusts. Two things he says here. I'm going to try to help you. He says that the enemy will try to de deceive us in two steps. The first one is this, license. He will try to get us to embrace license. What are you saying? Jude says it like this. He says it's the way of Cain. 
Y'all remember Cain? Do we need to go back to like children's church and, and do a little children's church lesson? Y'all remember Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel, and you remember what happens is Abel wants to give a sacrifice to God, so he goes out and he kills some animals. He brings them to God. God receives the sacrifice. Cain shows up, wants to give a sacrifice, and he gets fruit and vegetables and brings them. And I would have killed him if I was God too because I don't like fruits and vegetables, but that's a whole different story. And so he rejects the sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. Never mind. And, uh, uh, but it's the attitude. It's the attitude of license. Let me see if I can help you. Cain was self-centered. Cain thought he was self-sufficient, that self-works could bring him to God. He could live. See, he knew what kind of sacrifice he was supposed to bring. He saw the example that his brother had brought and that it had been received, and instead he tries to do it his way. I'm already preaching, and y'all don't even recognize it yet. In other words, there's no blood sacrifice, but, but, but rather by the works of his own hands. Abel's sacrifice is accepted, but Cain's offering was rejected, and Cain throws a murderous hissy fit. Y'all ever had a hissy fit at your house? I've had a few. They've never elevated to this level, because at this level, Cain gets so mad that his way wasn't acceptable to God that he literally takes his brother's life. And God responds to Cain and lets him know this. If you would have done it the right way, I would have accepted your sacrifice. But because you have not, here's what happens. Sin lies at the door, and it's like a lion ready to pounce on and devour you. But rather than adjusting his theology and adjusting his doctrine and adjusting his beliefs to meet God's standard, Cain wants God to adjust God to meet Cain. I'm preaching right now. He, he wants God. God, I don't like the standard that you've set. I want you to accept a different kind of sacrifice. I want you to accept a different kind of lifestyle. And if you won't accept it, that's all right. Because I don't need to ask you. I need you to adjust to me. And I just came to tell you that Jude says this. God ain't adjusting to us. We cannot make God in our image. He made us in His image. And therefore, we need to understand that right now in 2013, what we see is happening in the church and in the lives of church people is the same original sin of self is pushing back to the front. We are replacing God with us. We, we believe that we can be our own God. We get to decide what is good and what is evil. We, we don't care what God says anymore. We just want to know what do I think. Is what I think... What I think's got to go. God will just have to adjust. We want to set our own standards. Our definition of sin trumps God's definition of sin. Well, if this ain't 2013, you ain't been watching the news. We can redefine anything we want to redefine. We can reject what the Word of God says if we don't like it. If it doesn't allow us to do what we want to do and live how we want to live, we'll just rip that page out. We just won't read that chapter. We'll just take that book out and accept everything else but the part we don't like. I'm preaching this thing this morning. Hey, Jude, I, just, I know y'all just want to go back to the no, 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 no. But there's more than that in there than that. I, I just came to tell somebody this morning, like it or not, I wish I didn't. I, I feel. I honestly feel sorry for my kids. I'm. I don't feel sorry for them because the devil's so bad. I feel sorry for them because we've stayed asleep so long that now we find ourselves right smack dab in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. They are described by Jude as making a religion out of their own whims and lusts. Does that sound familiar to anybody? 
we're being force-fed an experiential theology rather than embracing a biblical theology, meaning that if something feels good, it must be okay. It's interesting to me. I'd forgotten this. Kim Wilkerson reminded me of, of this, that when, when Debbie Boone's song came along and unseated Hey Jude, the line of her song was, if it feels so good, it can't be wrong. Interesting to me. Because that is the thinking and that is the, the concept of our society and many Christians that if something feels good, we are replacing the sheer grace of God with sheer license. Anything goes. You set the standard. Be your own God. You decide if it's sin or not. Does that sound like today? Uh, I just want to make sure. See, that's the first deception. There's a second deception that we got to understand too. Because what Jude recognizes is that if you fall prey to license where anything goes, and if it feels right, it's got to be okay, then there's a second deception, a second doctrine, and it is a doctrine. I don't want you to misunderstand this. It is a doctrine. It is being shoved down our throats right down, right now by our culture. It is a doctrine. And it, it is this. If you fall prey to license, the second deception that comes with it is this. Tolerance and inclusion. Since morals are now defined and determined by what feels right, absolutes are absolutely rejected. You, you try to stand up in some parade somewhere and read the Bible and say, this is what God says and see what happens to you. I'm preaching. It is no longer about what the Bible says, so now what happens is churches and so-called evangelicals can stand up and throw things out because we got to be tolerant and inclusive. Guys like Carlton Pearson. Used to love to listen to him preach until he went nuts. Now he preaches a different gospel. Now everything, every belief leads to God. He's now a universalist, which means, by the way, that everybody on the entire planet that's ever been born or ever will be born has already been saved and they don't even know it. Therefore, they can live any way they want to live and they're still going to end up in heaven and everything's going to be all right because every way leads to God. When you buy license, you buy tolerance. Or guys like Rob Bell. Any of y'all ever read any of his books? Powerful author. Man, I've read some of his books. Good stuff. And all of a sudden, about six months ago, lo and behold, he stands up after writing one of his books and releasing it. Hey, homosexuality is okay. I've discovered God's all right with it. Me and God got this agreement now. I know Scripture says it's not, but that's all right. I got a direct pipeline to God, and so it's got to be okay because it feels good. We, if we are not careful, we will fall to the deception that we must become tolerant and inclusive of anything and everyone. But Jude says very bluntly that if we don't stay on guard, we will begin to call evil good and good evil. And what Jude does is he sounds the alarm. I wish Jude could watch Sports Center with me. I wish over the last six months I could have sat in my living room couch with Jude and let him watch Sports Center because I think what Jude would have done is he would have said, Hey, I've already talked to you about that. Because what I've noticed on Sports Center is this. Oh, y'all know who Tim Tebow is? I'm not going to debate with you about whether he's the best quarterback there ever was or whether his mechanics are great or whether he got sloppy footwork. I don't really care. 
that is not even the point. There are some good sports critics out there that attack him upon, uh, on his mechanics and on his throwing motion, and I'm all right with that. But most of the attacks that Tim Tebow suffers through have nothing to do with football. What they want to attack him about is the fact that he's very open about his faith and that every time the camera shows up on him, he's talking about Jesus. And every time he scores a touchdown, he gets down on one knee and Tebow's. They even make fun of him and do a Tebow and kneel down to give glory to God. And they have villainized him and they have crucified him because of his belief to the point that now when he begins to share that, he becomes the butt of every joke and Chris and what happens is this cry comes out and all of his teammates are saying you need to shut up and the media is saying you need to shut up and celebrities are saying be quiet and even fellow Christians are going you need to keep that to yourself then in the same breath when Jason Collins comes out as the first professional gay athlete it's a different story he immediately receives congratulatory phone calls from the President of the United States saying, thank you for what you've done, really. He gets Twitter, Twitter praise from uh, celebrities and politicians and sports legends that herald him as a hero. Some of them even link this announcement that he made to the ground-shaking accomplishments of Jackie Robinson. I beg to differ. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't think they even equate in the least iota. has nothing to do with it. And yet what happens is then when ESPN uh, on-air personality comes on, his name's Chris Broussard, and they ask him to do an editorial, they're not asking him for news. He would have been wrong if they were asking him for news. They weren't asking him for news. They were asking him for his opinion. And so he expresses his opinion, and he says very eloquently, I'm a Bible believer. I believe in Jesus. And the Bible I read says that homosexuality is a sin. And I'm not happy he came out, and I'm not going to shroud and shower him with praise because he's not a hero. And all of a sudden, he gets crucified. There are petitions online to get ESPN to fire him and to apologize. And all of a sudden, we are living smack dab in the middle of Jude's day. And, and heroes become villains. And villains become heroes. A Bible believer is turned into a villain. And a sinner is turned into a hero. All in the name of tolerance and inclusion. And just for the record just so we're straight, so y'all know where I kind of stand. I kind of find my, myself with Jude. I'm fed up. I'm fed up with the cry for tolerance because I want you to understand that, the, the, that what I've discovered is that the only people are usually, the only people that are intolerant are those that are calling for tolerance. They're tolerant until you bring God into the mix. And when you want to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. I didn't make this up. It's in black and white in the Bible. Then they want to scream at us, You're a bigot. You're judgmental. You're opinionated. You're backwoods. Because they are now free to set the standards and the judgments. So I'm fed up. Are there, are there judgmental Christians out there? You better believe it. Are there idiots out there picking and everything? Yes. But Jude teaches us what we're supposed to do. Jude declares that we should be tender with the sinner, but tough on sin. Y'all didn't get that. I'm going to say it again. 
Jude declares. Here's how you respond to this deception of license and the deception of tolerance and inclusion. You become very tender with the sinner. Why? Because sinners are supposed to sin. I know y'all don't know this, but sinners sin. Oh, by the way, that's what we used to do when we were sinners. But Jude says, be tender with them. That's why when this group just called me about two weeks ago and said, do you hate abortion? I said, yeah, it's murder. Then we need you to join us right down here in War Acres where there's an abortion clinic, by the way, and I didn't know that. But they said, we need you to come out and hold up signs that say God hates you and God. And I was like, no, thank you. We're not going to pick it. We're going to love. Because he says to be tender on the sinner, but tough on the sin. The mandate of the tolerant is to be soft not only on the sinner, but to make room for and accept the sin. But Jude shouts, no, be gracious to the sinner, but be tough on sin and call sin what it is. It's sin. Doesn't matter if it feels good, it's still sin. Don't be deceived. Don't accept something just because we're told that we should. Look to a different standard. So Jude says there's this, these deceptions coming to the, to the culture that we live in. There's the deception of license. Everything goes. It doesn't matter. If it feels good, do it. And then on the heels of that, he says not only will there be license, then the next step is that you should become tolerant and you should be inclusive of everything because all of that is okay and everybody gets to set their same standards and all that. Then he comes along and he says there's four things that you've got to do quickly that, that will help you to fight against the deception so that you won't fall prey because I want to tell you something, folks. There are Christians that have been Christians for a long time that are falling to these deceptions. They are. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we stay strong? Verse 20. But ye, beloved, build up yourselves on your, in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Four things quick. If we are going to stay strong, you've got to do four things. Number one, you've got to come back to the centrality of Christ. You've got to understand that there is only one way to God. I'll say it again, and I'm going to say it bluntly and boldly. There is only one way to God. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door, the gate. I, you can't get to my Father unless you come through me. I'm sorry you can't go through Allah this afternoon to get to God. You can't get to God through, through Buddha. You can't get to God through Aunt Pookie. You can't get to God any way but one way. And the only way is through Jesus Christ. We've got to become central on that fact. It's all about Him. Everything revolves and, and resolve, is resolved in Him. Jesus is the one true Master. Jesus is the one Savior. Jesus is the one true God. And any other way leads you to bankruptcy, not to God. And until we come to the place we embrace that again, then we can go to any kind of church service we want to. We can mesh them up into any kind of religion we want to and borrow anything. from. No. Jesus and Jesus alone brings us before our Father. The second thing we must do is we must be have clarity in our message again. In other words, we got to come back to that place where we can stand up and say, I know what I have believed. 
You've got to revisit and reclaim what we believe. I want you to understand. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Understand me clearly right now. I'm going to say it just like this on purpose. Understand what I'm getting ready to say. It is not enough for you to attend a Bible-believing church. It's not enough for you to have a pastor that believes the Bible and knows what our tenets and what our doctrines and what our faith is all about. Not enough. See, that's We become lazy. We're not, we don't have a warrior's mentality. We want somebody to chew it all up and spit it and regurgitate it for us so we don't have to do anything. Preach. We must understand what we believe and why. When somebody comes against your faith and wants to bring all these accusations, you've got to come to the place in your own understanding that you don't have to put my number on speed dial and say, hey, Pastor Steve, I'm in a debate. Can you give me the answer? No, you stand up and say, no, the Bible says, and this is why I believe this, and this is truth. You don't have to like it. You don't have to believe it's absolute, but I don't live on the feelings you live on. I live on the fact that every word that comes out of God's mouth is the nourishment for my soul, and whether it feels good and whether whether you like it or don't just buy what the media says don't just buy what a preacher says I say it like that don't even buy everything I say because I have been wrong a few times that's why you gotta know y'all remember last week I talked about two Command number one, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, your intellect. In other words, what, what I'm saying to you is it is time for you to revisit what the Word says. It's time for you to re revisit what great Christian theologians have discovered and researched and come up with. It's time to embrace the scholars of yesteryear and understand that they didn't get everything right, but on a lot of things they were right, and we need to know why we believe in salvation and why we believe in sanctification and why we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and why we believe in divine healing and why we believe in second coming and why, why do we believe that stuff? Because you told us we should. No, that's not enough. You got to know. The third thing we've got to do is you've got to have courage. You've got to come to this place where you're willing to stand alone. If you're, gonna, if it, if you're all by yourself, you will, if you're the only one at work that believes the Bible, you will still stand firm. If Though none go with me, still I will follow. I'm here all by myself holding up a standard. The media is against me. Culture has shifted, but I refuse to shift because I will stand here and declare, thus saith the word of God in this. I am going to be infused with courage I'm a warrior I'm a soldier I'm, it's not time to cower down it's not time to hide we must take courage in the fact that God is with us and in us and then last but not least if you're going to withstand these deceptions then you got to have some communication going on Jude says like this pray in the Holy Ghost one guy told me one day, he said, a growing church is a praying church. I want to tell you this morning, I'd say it like this, a healthy Christian is a praying Christian. 
you're not going to be able to withstand the deceptions of this culture and the and deceptions of so-called church folks and preachers that don't know what they're talking about if you don't have a direct pipeline to the throne room of God and spend some time communicating with God and saying, God, what do you say? What is your word? I don't want it based on what I feel. What is your word? That's why Jude goes on and specifies exactly what kind of prayer. He says, pray in the Holy Ghost. It's a Pentecostal church, y'all pray in the Holy Ghost why is that so important because I just want to be straight up with you there are days I don't know how to pray and if I had to pray according to my feelings I'd pray wrong so Jude says pray in the Holy Ghost because if I pray in the Holy Ghost I won't pray wrong I'll pray to God what God wants to pray through me leadership team about a month and a half ago had a meeting and at the end of the meeting we decided we needed to increase the prayer level at our church and so I challenged them to pray we we tried to do it in a way that we would remember and so we decided that at 8 12 every day then I realized there's two of those 8 12 in the morning 8 12 in the evening a little alarm goes off and it reminds us that we should pray I want to challenge you this morning to join us I want you to add it to your phone so that right in the middle of your Cheerios, the alarm goes off and it reminds you to pray. Because, see, if we are going to withstand the deceptions of this age, we have got to come to the place where we spend some time in quality prayer with God, communicating to Him through the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for you just to get goosebumps on Sunday morning in church. It is for you to communicate effectively with God so that you will live according to His wants, His standards, and His desires rather than your own preaching and I can't hardly get a shout in a Pentecostal church because we thought that it was just for hooping and Jude says if you're going to withstand you better learn to pray in the Holy Ghost Jude is reading our mail he says if we're not careful we will be deceived by license tolerance and inclusion. Father, this morning, my prayer is simply this. Wake us up. God, my sincere request from you today, God, please shake us from our apathy for for our sake and God, for our kids' sake. Please, I pray, God, wake us up from the apathy where we will just buy anything the TV says is right We will buy anything a courtroom says is right. We will buy anything a celebrity says is right rather than turning to your word. God, help us to fight against the deception of license. We're at war. I pray you'd wake us up. Wake us up. Father, I pray that you challenge us this morning that as culture is shifting under our feet, we would stand firm I pray that we would become very consumed with the centrality of Christ again we would elevate him your word simply declares this if Jesus is lifted up he'll draw all men to himself and so father once again we raise your son Jesus as the standard the sinless one the perfect one the great and living sacrifice it's by him and him alone. 
Father, I pray that we would become very clear in our message. We would know exactly what we believe. And we won't become angry. And we won't become hateful church folks. But we will be able to state succinctly and definitely our positions. And we'll have the courage to stand all by ourselves. If everybody in the entire room, everybody's sitting on the same aisle, everybody's sitting in the same pew as me, if they want to accept something other than your word, I'll have the standard rise up within me and the word of God will rise up within me and the warrior spirit will rise up within me and I'll stand in courage all by myself if I have to. God, I'll spend time communicating with you using this great gift that you've given us to communicate to you through your own spirit. I pray that we would once again at 812 every morning and 812 every night we would begin to build a bridge and communicate with you and find out what you say. So Father, I pray that you teach us the lessons that Jude is trying to teach us. And I pray that we would become very gracious to sinners recognizing that by, by the grace of God, there go I. That's me. And so we offer them tenderness and grace, but we take a firm stand on sin and we refuse to accept it. We will not make room for it. We'll make room for the sinner, but for not, not for the sin, and we will lead them to your son, Jesus. Hey, Jude, got anything to tell us? Father, I pray that the message of Jude would penetrate our spirit this morning. And Father, we'll be quick to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor because you're worthy. And everybody said, It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.